outline to because it uh, uh, provides you with uh, uh, enough outline, give you a bit of a structure as to uh, message this morning, but also it's got some blanks there to fill in. It's got a lot of blank spaces uh, there for you to uh, jot down some things uh, which uh, you may forget otherwise. And so uh, I say that the weakest ink is better than the strongest memory. So uh, the outline is uh, of practical help today. <clears throat> Last Sunday evening we asked the question, what can we expect in 2024? And perhaps we could have been a little bit more specific, uh, what does the Bible say we can expect in 2024? In Matthew 24, Jesus himself said that as we move closer to the end of the age, we can expect to hear of wars and rumours of wars. We can expect nation to rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. We can expect there to be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places, Jesus said. We can expect many false prophets to rise. We can expect that they will deceive many. We can expect that iniquity will abound, so much so, Jesus said that the love of many will wax cold, grow cold. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're told that in the last days, perilous times shall come, that evil men and seducers will get worse and worse, being deceived themselves and then deceiving others. And if we think that the impact upon all, of all these things upon Christians will be negligible, then we are mistaken. For Luke chapter 28 verse 8, Jesus himself asked the question, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? And the expectant answer is no. That is not much by comparison to the people on the earth. When the Lord Jesus comes, will you be a person of faith who continues to trust, who continues to persevere, who continues to endure? When the Lord comes, will he find you still trusting, still believing, still walking by faith, still continuing the pathway of faith, or... Will he find you like so many others, that is, not believing? No longer a believer. Faith has always been a vital component of the believer's life and such is the nature of the spiritual conflict that our faith is always under attack and increasingly so in coming days. And for this reason, our faith needs strengthening, lest it fall and fail in the day of battle. So as we start the year, last Sunday night and this morning and then again next Sunday evening, we're spending some time in the book of Hebrews, which was a letter written to people who were at the very point of giving up their faith. Hebrews is a letter written to people to encourage them to keep trusting, 
keep believing, keep obeying, keep serving, keep walking by faith. Now, as uh, we get to the month of February, we're going to return in the morning service to our series in Genesis and in the evening to uh, complete the book of Revelation. But this Sunday morning today and next Sunday evening, we're here in the book of Hebrews and our purpose is to challenge our faith and build up our faith. Now last week I mentioned to you that in Hebrews 11 verses 1 to 3 we have a description of faith. Rather than it being a definition of faith, it is a description of faith. And those three verses tell us four things that faith is. From verse 4 onwards, the rest of the chapter provides us with many illustrations of what faith is or perhaps demonstrations is a better way to understand it so in verse 1 to 3 we have a uh, description of faith that is what faith is and as the verses 4 to 40 we have demonstrations of faith that is what faith does and faith that is has to do things okay that's what the book of james is all about isn't it If faith is genuine, then it has to work. If faith is genuine, it's going to manifest itself in certain visible ways. And that's what Hebrews chapter 11 is all about. How people of faith, how their faith was manifested. Verses 1 to 3 tell us us faith is four things. And two of those things we looked at last week from verse 1. Firstly, it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, we saw it last week, faith is the title deed of unrealized possessions. All of the promises that God has made to us, promises of heaven, mentioned back in chapter 10, verse 34. Promise of eternal reward, chapter 10, verse 35. Promise of eternal glory and many more promises beside all of those promises are sure possessions for us yet they are at present unrealized we haven't laid our hands upon them yet as it says in verse 13 chapter 11 verse 13 we see the promises of God afar off we are persuaded of them they do belong to us and the title deed which demonstrates that those possessions are ours title it is faith faith in christ faith is the title deed the legal of the proof of legal ownership of our presently unrealized possessions without faith verse 6 says you can't please god verse 6 says without faith you can't come to god Without faith, verse 6 says, you can't seek God. Without faith, verse 6 says, you won't be rewarded by God. In short, no faith, no salvation. No faith, you're not in God's family. No faith, you're not an heir to share in the inheritance of all of God's children, which God has promised to all of his children. 
But if you want to share in the inheritance of all the things that God has promised to prepare for his children, then you have to produce the title deed that demonstrate that those things belong to you and that title deed is faith, faith in Christ. It's the title deed of unrealized possessions. That's the first thing we saw last week from verse 1. That's the first thing that faith is. The second thing that faith is, is in the second part of verse 1, it is the evidence of things not seen. It's the evidence, it's the proof of unseen realities. How are unsaved people to know that God is real? How are unsaved people to know that heaven is real? How are unsaved people to know that salvation is real? How are unsaved people to know that our hope is real? We provide the proof of that. We provide the evidence of all these unseen realities by our faith, the life of faith that we live. Our faith which works out in practical ways. When people look at our lives, they, there should be evidence, according to verse 6, that God is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek. That's why we do what we do. Because we believe that God exists and that God is a rewarder of those who seek him and serve him. Our life should provide the proof. That's observe, that gives evidence of God's existence, that he is. And God's exuberance, his rewards. Our faith gives proofs of God's being and proofs of God's bounty. Proofs of the fact of God, proofs of the nature of God. What kind of God is he? That ought to be evidenced by his presence in our lives, by the fruit of God's spirit working in us and out through us by our love for the unlovely, by our joy in the face of adversity, by our peace in the midst of turmoil, by our long-suffering with those that would do us harm, by our gentleness towards those that persecute us, by our goodness shown towards those that despitefully use us, by our faith, our faithfulness, when all around about us is decaying, by our meekness towards those that oppose us, by our temperance with those that anger us. What kind of God is he? He's loving and joyful and long-suffering and gentle and good and faithful and meek and temperate. He shows amazing patience, amazing self-control. And that is evident by our faith working itself out. You may not have seen the vision that God gave Isaiah, but judging from Isaiah's response, we can tell what kind of God he is. He's a holy, holy, holy God. And our faith, as it's manifested, as it's revealed through our lives, our belief that manifests our manifest in our behaviour. Our faith provides evidence for and proofs of 
these unseen realities. And so in summarising, according to verse 1, faith brings the future within the realm of the present. It is today's title deed of future possessions. And faith brings the invisible into the realm of the visible. It's the it's the evidence, it's the proof of unseen realities. The third thing that faith is, is described in verse 2. For by it, that is by faith, elders obtained a good report. And verses 4 through 40, it's telling us all about that, listing all these different elders and how God was pleased with them and wrote good things concerning them. By it, people obtain a good report from God. Well, if you remember the emotion of fear or nervousness, trepidation that you experienced as you presented your parents with your school reports, Maybe it came in a sealed envelope that you were instructed to give to your parents without opening it first. That's what I had to do. And you didn't really have any idea whether it was a good report or a bad report until it was open. And then the expression on your parents' face sort of gave you, uh, revealed which it was. Uh, I have here... Um, school report for year 10 uh, from a park high school um, Glenn Matthews one end maybe it's not me <laughs> but um, maths assessment 68 percent um, in a class of 33, came 30th. I was grateful for those other three people. <laughs> With attitude C. Um, a, B, C, D. I, I think you, get a, you could get an E. So C is middle of the road. <coughs> Science, 79%. With a C. <coughs> Metal Technics, 66%. Some comments here from my maths teacher. Glenn, one end, has not put in a concerted effort. Metal Technics needs to work faster. Science. Glenn sometimes lacks concentration. And then there's <coughs> some, my form master made some rude, <laughs> no, not appropriate remarks here. I feel though Glenn should try to extend himself and make full use of his ability, especially in maths and science. Well, it's there for the record. But maybe report time was not a worry or a concern to you because you were fairly confident of receiving a good report. Let's think ahead to the time when we stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ and our, <coughs> our lives are examined 
Does that prospect fill you with any nervousness or fear? How satisfying will it be to get a good report on that day? And how reassuring it is for us to be guaranteed today, to, to have to, a guarantee today that in that day we will receive a good report. How reassuring will that be to be assured that that's the case? Well, all these people mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11, it says they all obtained a good report from God. And if we follow their example, we can be assured of receiving a good report as well. Now, if you put all these people in Hebrews 11 side by side, they are diverse as people can be. Their circumstances are all very different. Their trials are all very different. Their accomplishments are all very different. And yet the unifying commendation was that all of these people were people of faith. The crown is set upon the head of their faith. And that's an encouraging truth for us to realise. Because, brethren... We're not exceptional standout Christians. We're just average believers endeavouring to do the best that we can with uh, what we have. We don't, I don't think, have any great ambitions of being a martyr like Abel was in verse 4 or being so holy as to be granted special privileges like Enoch in verse 4. Sorry, Abel verse 3, Enoch verse 4. I don't think we have any ambitions of being the means of saving life upon the earth like Noah, verse 7, or being the progenitor of some great remarkable plan of God like Abraham, verse 8. None of us, I don't think, anticipate that God is going to use us in earth-shattering ways. We're not in the same league as many of these people here therefore how could we hope to obtain a good report like they did well the answer is it was their faith that God approved and what God was pleased with it was the faith that they demonstrated each one in their own unique situation in spite of the circumstances that they feared inside the consequences that they faced it was their faith that God acknowledges and was especially pleased with and puts it on record by faith they, because of their faith they obtained a good report. Just like at the bottom of my report, there's a form master's statement. At the bottom of your report could be something like this. Summary comments at the end of your report. Overall, a very pleasing result as Fred has consistently demonstrated commitment to trust me. His faith is evident. Therefore, I'm pleased to issue this good report. Well done, good and faithful servant. We can be assured of receiving a good report if we are likewise people of faith. And that's the, this is the third thing that faith is. This is the third thing that faith is. Faith is the guarantee of gaining God's approval. Faith is the guarantee of gaining God's approval. Faith is the title deed of unrealized possessions. It's the evidence of unseen realities. It is the guarantee 
of gaining God's approval. If we want God to give us a good report, then we need to be people of faith. Now, the expression obtained a good report, three words, five words, sorry, in English, just one word in Greek. It's the Greek verb martyro, from where we get our English word martyr, but the word simply means to bear witness, to give testimony. And here the verb is not in the active voice telling us that something of these elders did. It's telling us something that was done to them. They were given a good report. Because of their faith, God bore witness to them. God gave this testimony about them. They received this good report from God. Now, the Greek word martyro is a very important word in Hebrews chapter 11. It appears four other times. Twice in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he, there it is, obtained witness, that's once, that he was righteous. God testifying, there is a second time, of his gifts. And by it he being dead yet speaketh. The word occurs also once in verse 5. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God translated him for before his translation he had this testimony, there's the word again, that he pleased God. And then again, verse 39, right towards the end of the chapter. These all having obtained a good report, there it is there, through faith received not the promise. Five times in this chapter we're told that faith is the thing that God speaks well about. God gives a testimony concerning. God bears witness that he is well pleased. Now, since faith is the guarantee of gaining God's approval, it ought to be of interest of us to see how such faith manifests itself, what it looks like, so that we can therefore examine our faith in light of it. So let's do that. How did Abel's faith manifest itself? Verse 4 says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it him being dead yet speaketh. The thing that we read about Abel here relates to his worship of God. Mention is made here of his sacrifice, which was more excellent than Cain's. And we all probably know that there's been a lot of discussion, a lot of debate as to why Abel's offering was acceptable to God and why Cain's was rejected. And some Bible scholars feel very strongly that it has much to do and everything to do with the type of offering that the different men brought. Abel brought a lamb, the firstlings of his flock, whilst Cain brought of the fruit of the ground. Now I can well understand why some scholars make much of the different types of offering here. The lamb involves the shedding of blood. It contains all the principles of atonement, principles which are not implicit in the fruit of the ground which Abel offered. So there is certainly an important point to be made there. 
However, there is certainly more to it than just the type of offering that was brought. For example, in Isaiah chapter 1, we see the Israelites bringing the right kind of offering to God, the right type of offering to God, yet God was not well pleased with them because in God's view their offerings were empty, they were vain, because the people's hearts were full of hypocrisy. So it's not just the right kind of offering that is important, it's also the attitude behind that God is particularly concerned about. And that's the thing that's mentioned here about Cain. What was behind his offering that obviously wasn't behind Abel's offering was faith. This is the way it shapes up for us to examine our faith life. Faith worships God in spirit and in truth, even when it's costly. Faith worships God in spirit and in truth, even when it's costly. Abel's lamb certainly cost more than Cain's fruit. I believe that to be the case. But Abel's lamb wasn't the only cost involved in Abel's worship. Abel's worship cost him his life. Abel's worship cost him his life. Faith worships God, even when it's costly. That's the principle for us to embrace. When we gather together for worship, we bring offerings to the Lord. The first fruits of all of our increase given to God, whether you bring it here or you do it online. First fruits of our time, first day of the week given to God. First fruits of our energy. Okay? We come here with a heart full to praise the Lord, to give of ourselves, to give our best to the Lord. That's what faith does. It's costly. It's a sacrifice to do all of that. That's what faith does. Perhaps there might be for you an, an opportunity to work on Sundays, earn double time and a half or triple time there's money to be made but you choose not to do that because even as the first fruits belong to God so too does the first day of the week belong to God and instead of being out there making money we're in here worshipping the Lord it's a sacrifice it's costly but that's what faith does it obeys God, it honours God, it trusts God to provide. Faith worships God, gives him the first day of the week. We're all here Sunday morning, it's the Lord's day. And Sunday night we have a service because it's the Lord's day. That's a sacrifice. All of us could be doing something different and many of us do something different on Sunday evenings. It's a sacrifice to worship the Lord. It's costly. It's what faith does. Friday nights come around and that's the big night for many people to either go out, kick up the heels or go home and relax, enjoy ourselves. It's understandable after a hard week 
the opportunity for relaxation is very, very welcome. And yet, a good number of young people sacrifice their Friday nights. They give it in service to God, ministering to kids. And they understand something of the truth of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. That the whole, all of our lives, we're, our life is a living sacrifice. It doesn't mean that we are martyrs and die for the faith. It means that every day of our life we live for the Lord, however long we live. It's an act of worship. It's costly. But some are willing to pay the price because of their faith. It was the same kind of faith that Abel had that earned him a good report, God's approval. Wednesday night, prayer meeting and Bible study. Again, prayer is, prayer is a sacrifice. Our prayers go up, it's like incense to God. It's like a sacrifice to God. That's what faith does. Faith prays. And again, it's hard to find time on Wednesday night to do that, either here on site or online. It's costly. You're going to have to give up something. That's what faith does. Faith worships God, even though it's costly. It's a sacrifice. How did Enoch's faith manifest itself? Verse 5 says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found. Because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Abel was the second son of Adam. Read about him in Genesis 4. Enoch was the seventh generation from Adam. Read about him in Genesis 5. And there in Genesis chapter 5, we're told twice that Enoch walked with God. For 300 years, Enoch walked with God. It says, and begat sons and daughters. You know, some people use family as an excuse as to why they can't possibly walk with God as they should. I'll provide for my family. It wasn't an excuse for Enoch. It wasn't a hindrance to Enoch. And such was his walk with God that two things happened. Number one, he received a special privilege from God. Number two, he earned a testimony, earned a reputation amongst his fellow men. Enoch was a man who was known for his walk with God. And faith was a significant and notable part of that. He was a man of faith. Consequently, he walked with God. Point B on your outline sheet there is this faith walks with God even when nobody else does. Faith walks with God even when nobody else does. From Abel, we learn that faith worships God, even when it's costly. From Enoch, we learn that faith walks with God, even when nobody else does. For context, Enoch lived in a period just before the flood, when the earth had become so wicked that God sent a universal flood of judgment upon man's sin. And the epistle of Jude tells us that Enoch was a prophet of God who had a message of judgment for his own day and the distinct impression that I get is that there weren't too many others who stood with Enoch 
and walked with God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Maybe you're the only one at work who walks with God. Maybe you're the only one at school. Maybe you're the only one in your home. And sometimes the pressure to give in, to give up, is immense. I'm sure Enoch felt it. But faith walks with God continually. That's the thing about walking. It's a continual thing. Faith walks with God, even when nobody else does. Abel's sacrifice was an act of worship. It's, a, it's an act of faith. It's a, it was a periodic thing. But Enoch's faith was manifested in a continually, moment by moment, walking with God. It's interesting that when you read Genesis, there's no reference to the word faith in respect to Abel or in respect to, the, to Enoch. No mention of the word faith in respect to Abel or Enoch. And yet the author of Hebrews knows that those two men were men of faith. And part of the reason why he understands this is because of what he tells us in verse 6. But without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Okay? There's two premises here. Premise number one, it's impossible to please God unless we have faith. The author knows that. He's been informed of that by Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 7. Premise number two, Enoch pleased God verse 5. Abel pleased God verse 4. And so it reasons out this way. Since Enoch and Abel both please God, and since faith is the thing that pleases the Lord, therefore Enoch and Abel were both men of faith. And if we are to please God, we must be people of faith or turn it around. If we are people of faith, then God will be pleased with us. Okay, imagine... Standing before the Lord and hearing the Lord say, This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Imagine hearing that. That's guaranteed. We're people of faith. Who worship, who walk with the Lord. Now come back to verse 6. How else do we know that Enoch and Abel were men of faith that pleased the Lord? Look again at verse 6. But without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe. That is, must be a person of faith. Again, there's a couple of premises here. Premise number one. It's impossible to come to God unless you believe. Or sorry, unless you please him. Premise number two. Enoch came to God. Verse 5 tells us he walked all the way to heaven. All the way into God's presence. And Abel also came to God, verse 4. He was martyred and went into the Lord's presence in a different way. But he came to God nonetheless. God has a different plan for different people. But it reasons out this way. Since Enoch and Abel both came to God, and since coming to God is not possible unless you please God, therefore Enoch and Abel both please the Lord. 
And again, the point that's made very, very clear is that their faith was the major factor that's mentioned here. It was the thing that pleased the Lord. It was the thing that gained God's approval. Faith will worship God even when it's costly. Faith will walk with God even when no one else does. There's many things that can interrupt our walk with God. There are many things that call us away from fellowship with God. There are many things that grieve the Spirit of God, that quench the Spirit of God. And so, therefore, there's a many times a Christian says, I, I can't do that. I'm sorry, I can't do that. It's because, of, it's because of our walk with the Lord. Our walk with the Lord will be interrupted if we do certain things. And so, I don't know how many times a day we're going to have to find ourselves saying, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. I walk with God, I can't do that. Or conversely, there's... Numerous things that we can do to enhance our fellowship with God will help us in our walk with God. And so there are things that we have to do each day to maintain that fellowship with, with the Lord. Like God speaks to us through his word. We've got to hear God's word every day. We speak with God through prayer. We've got to be talking to God every day. The word and prayer have to be things which are part of our daily life if we're to continue to walk with God. And these are the things we ought not do all these things that we have to do even if no one else does are you a person of faith who walks with the Lord not doing certain things doing other things because of your faith how did Noah manifest his faith verse 7 it says, by faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. From Noah we learn that faith will work for God, even when it seems futile. There's no... There's, there's no flood. There's never been a flood. It hasn't even rained before. Great big wooden boat to save the whoever from a worldwide catastrophe. 120 years in the making. Continual persecution and ridicule. No one listening. I think we could understand if Noah doubted in his mind that such an undertaking was worthwhile. Sometimes that's the way that we feel about <coughs> ministry. We're involved in ministry whereby there's opportunity for people to be saved. And we work at it and we work at it and we work at it and it seems often very futile. Plenty of encouragements to give up. Often it's very discouraging. There's so little responses. And yet with every nail that Noah drove into the ark, that was another evidence that he continued to believe in God and to trust in God. And that was there for everyone to see. He gave evidence of things not seen. Every single soul-winning endeavour. Keep at it and at it and at it. It's like another nail, another nail. This is God's ministry. This is God's provision. This is God's way. 
And we keep doing it and we keep doing it and we keep doing it and keep doing it. It's faith. Knowing what we do about the readers, the Hebrew Christians, we can see that the author's choice of examples is very significant. In in Abel, we can see that worship is sometimes very costly. And the Hebrew Christians to whom this was written, they were enduring persecution because they believed in the more excellent sacrifice of Christ. Well, that's where they were at the moment. They were at the point of giving up. But because they believed in the more excellent sacrifice of Christ and were trusting in that They were being persecuted and there was jealousy and there was envy and there was anger against them even as Cain's envy and anger and jealousy was manifest against Abel. And Abel died and there was a distinct possibility that some of the Hebrew Christians would too. There's a distinct possibility. I mean, they'd already lost all of their possessions In Enoch, we see that walking with God can be a lonely path. The Hebrew Christians to whom this was written were in a very, very small minority. And yet they were willing, or they were at the moment not willing to walk the same path. Faith was required to keep going. Faith was required to persevere. And in Noah, we can see that working for God can seem like a futile thing. All of this work for all of these years and only a few, just eight souls. It's like such a small and insignificant ministry. That was certainly their, their, their situation, the Hebrew Christians. And so Noah's example set before them is very, very relevant As a matter of fact, prior to this in chapter 6, there's some encouragement that he gives them. He says, God is not unrighteous to forget your labours of love, things that you do for the Lord's sake, in the Lord's name. Knowing about the Hebrew Christians, what the author knows about them, it's it's evident why he writes certain things, highlights certain things. And the Lord knowing about us, the way things are with us, it's very relevant that God should write these things for us as well. Very significant for us. The applications are obvious for us too. There's three things to take home this morning. Three things that guarantee us gaining God's approval. Well done, good and faithful servant. Three things. Number one, faith that worships God, even when it's costly. Faith that walks with God, even when no one else does. Faith that continues to work for God, even when it seems futile. Always, always. I'm talking about going back to just the Garden of Eden, Abel. Always, faith is under fire. Always has been, always will be. Faith is under fire. And one day soon, faith will give way to sight, blessed sight, 
Today is not only the day of salvation, today is an opportunity for us to continue to walk by faith. Our faith is evident in the way that we worship. <clears throat> Question, how, how would you describe your worship of the Lord? God's description is all important. <clears throat> but does God's description and your description of your worship sort of align? Are you worshipping the Lord in a way that is well-pleasing in his sight? Maybe just going through the motion, you know, the right kind of things, but like Isaiah chapter 1, there's something in our heart that's not right. Maybe it's not so much an expression of our faith, but of something else, tradition. How would you describe your walk with the Lord? Or is it more like stumbling? Stumbling, stop, get up. Stumble, stop, stay down, get up. Rather than walking consistently. How would you describe your work for the Lord? What, what, do, you, what do you do? What does your faith do? Faith that doesn't work is vain. It's, it's empty. So it's, not the sort of, it's not the sort of faith that God rewards, saying, well done, good and faithful servant. An empty faith doesn't get that kind of commendation. What do you do for the Lord's sake? What do you do in the Lord's name? When Jesus returns, will he find you still a person of faith? Will he be well pleased Will he give you a good report? Or, or, as the Apostle John says, you know, will we be ashamed of him at his coming? Just as soon as it happens, just immediate regret. So much wasted. Saved, so is by fire. But the Hebrews, uh, for 1 Corinthians 3, is like the, the wood, the, the hay, the stubble is just consumed. There's nothing there for bringing honour and glory to the Lord. <clears throat> well, that's, that's a, 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 a warning to fear. But the promise and the guarantee of God's word is God is well pleased with a life of faith. Justified by faith, he will save us. Live by faith, he will reward us got to keep going got to keep going day after day after day after day in 2024 let's pray heavenly father i want to thank you for your word i thank you that it uh, talks about the, the the day and age in which we live and it also speaks very very clearly to the kind of life that is well-pleasing in your sight. Thank you that such a life is possible. In one sense, <coughs> faith is a simple thing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Trust in Christ and Christ alone. In one sense, faith is a simple thing, but faith needs to be a growing thing. And so, Lord, I do pray that we'd be making some progress in our faith this year. Consistency in our faith uh, this year. Lord, help us not to be weary in well-doing. Help us to 
Remember, may it always be before us. In due season we shall reap if we faint not. So Lord, help us to continue to worship you even when it's costly. To walk with you even if no one else does. To work for you even when it seems futile. Thank you that you are faithful to deliver on your promises. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our final hymn today is...